Today I want to talk a little bit about what was referred to in that paragraph, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe that. Now there are some figures that are bandied around in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which are nothing more than an educated guess. These figures say that 50% of the people who approach the program of Alcoholics Anonymous never take another drink after their first approach. The figures go on to say that 25% will go out and try to drink some more, and then they too eventually will achieve sobriety after suffering a little bit more. Then the figures say that 25% of the original people coming to this program will never achieve that sobriety. And it's my own opinion that these people, these 25%, who will lead the lives of practicing alcoholics, will lead a life that can be commonly referred to in a cliche form as a living death. Because I believe the life of a practicing alcoholic is far worse than the finality of death. Now why do things like this happen? Why do people who apparently sit here and seem to have a normal degree of intelligence, average degree of sincerity and, and an attempt at this sobriety, why will some of us choose to drink again? And when I say some of us, I'm only basing that on the figures that I just related. If we were to use those figures in this small group right here, which is probably about 20 of us sitting here, that means these figures say that 10 of us will never drink again, and that five of us are going to go out and suffer a little bit more hurt, then we eventually will get sober. Then unfortunately, the figures say that five people sitting in this room today, represented by those figures, are destined for that life that I choose to call worse than death. Now, I don't really know why. I'm convinced that self-knowledge is not enough to keep you sober, because with the intelligence that we have, I'm firmly convinced that most people are aware that alcoholism, as we know it, is a tragic, deadly, humiliating, hideous, horrendous disease. I'm convinced that everybody in this room knows that. For those of you who don't know it yet, I'll guarantee you that you'll know it before you leave here. But even despite all of that knowledge, some of us are going to drink again. It would be nice if we could say something different, but fact is fact. There are people sitting in this room whom I've heard in the past say, in solemn vows and, and in well-meant that they were never going to drink again, only to return to drinking a few days later, a few weeks later, or possibly a few months later, or maybe even years later. There are people on the outside at this very moment, men and women just like you and I who are alcoholics, some of whom are going to start to drink today. All of these people aren't just newcomers. They're not people with one or two days of sobriety who haven't yet grasped this program. It's 
quite possible that out there today there are men and women with long periods of sobriety who will today reach and take a drink. This again is not based on fiction, it's based on fact. In the coming weeks following these holidays, as it has been in the past, we will see many people like that. One of the most common things we'll hear is, I don't really know what happened. I had no desire to take a drink. I've been sober for three, four, five, six, seven, eighteen, nineteen years. And all of a sudden, I decided to drink. Now, unless the person who's experienced that has the capacity to be honest, you and I are never going to know why he or she took that drink. We can only form our own opinions based on our own experiences. That's what I want to talk a little bit about today. You know, why do you come to AA? Why do people need a program called Alcoholics Anonymous? And why do you get into AA? Well, you've got to be in AA for only one reason. There's only one reason for all of us being here today. And that somewhere inside of us, subconsciously or consciously, is buried a desire for sobriety. I've often repeated and I'll repeat it again. I can only assume, I can only assume that all of you who sit here today are sincere in your desire for sobriety. If you're in AA for any other reason, you're in the wrong place. For AA can't really do anything more for you than help you maintain your sobriety. But the sobriety is very, very important. For as I've done at a meeting here not too long ago, sobriety, to you and I, the alcoholic, is the foundation of whatever dream we want to fulfill, whatever life we want to make, or whatever hopes we expect to fulfill. We as alcoholics must start this out on a foundation of sobriety. Now, what you want to do with your sobriety is not the purpose of AA. But we have found that by practicing the principles of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, that these principles have helped us build upon our sobriety far greater dreams, fulfill far greater expectations than we ever dared possibly believe. The truth to that statement is attested by the stories of 750,000 people just like you and I, who seemingly were hopeless people who at one time could not possibly recover from the disease of alcoholism. And yet, this program has created their own miracles. Now, the trouble with alcoholics is that we, as alcoholics, 
cannot build anything decent unless we're sober. Because when we're drunk as alcoholics, our drunkenness, different than the social drinker, releases all of our character defects, all of our character defects, when you and I are drunk. This is not true for the social drinker, for the social drinker recognizes the beginning of the release of his or her character defects and then says, I've had enough to drink. I quit. I don't want any more. But you see, you and I as alcoholics, defined in the book and the program Alcoholics Anonymous, are people who can't do that, who can't at the first recognizing of a character defect being exposed as a result of our drunkenness, we can't as alcoholics say, well, I quit, that's all I'm going to have, even though we want to. Because, as you know, alcoholics are men and women who lost the ability to control his, uh, their drinking. You and I cannot do that. Now, why do people return to drinking? Again, why will some of you return to drinking? And of course, I include myself in this. I am no different than anyone in this room. The same reasons you get drunk and the same things that happen that cause you to get drunk can very well cause me to insanely seek a temporary escape insanely into the Bible. Over the years, and I'm not trying to sound like a no-timer, God forbid, I'm not. Over the years, I've seen a pattern established. Not only I, anybody that's been around AA for any kind of time has seen the pattern develop of why people return to drinking. They come down into about six basic reasons, six basic reasons. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about them today so that you can do with them whatever the hell you want to do. Most people who return to drinking are clearly defined right, right at the back. They do not accept this program. They do not want this program. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's entitled to his or her choice. You don't want this program, you have all the right in the world to say, I don't want it. I'm an alcoholic, but I don't accept what you people are saying as the answer to my problem. There's nothing naughty about that. It's a rather intelligent statement to make. A lot of people aren't swayed by other people's programs and ideas. They're individualistic enough to say, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it my way. Many of us have tried that. I doubt if there sits anybody, and this is only an opinion, I doubt if there sits anybody at any A meeting, any place in the entire world, 
that didn't try some other method of staying sober before he or she came to AA. I believe everyone in this room, as I said last week, tried to get sober, tried to stay sober before you came here. But see, now you're put in a position, and this program puts you in a position to accept honestly. And it's you that have to do it. It's your honesty we're talking about, not mine, as related to you. Are you honest enough with yourself to recognize that you can't do it alone? Are you honest enough to recognize that your way doesn't work? And it hasn't worked in the past. And I don't know nothing about your past, and the person sitting alongside of you don't know anything about your past. But you goddamn well know about your past. See, you're the authority on your past. You're the sole complete authority on whether or not alcohol is causing your life to become unmanageable. And it better be you and your sole authority because you're not that important that any of us are going to waste our time worrying about what causes you to get drunk because we're busy worrying about what in the hell causes us to get drunk. So it's basically a one-on-one -on -one thing. You on you. Now, another reason that people return to drinking, even though they do embrace this program, I retract that statement, even though they do come to this program, not embrace it, a lot of people come to AA. My dear friend John here. Been as many AA meetings last year as anybody in this room. But he's also been back in here more times in the last year than anybody in this room. Which proves a fact. And that's what you're interested in, in fact. I don't imagine you come up here to hear bullshit. You come up here to hear fact. Well, that establishes a fact that just going to meetings is not going to keep you sober. Just going to meetings is not going to keep you sober. You have to practice the principles of this program in your daily life. You have to be active in this program every day of your life, in my opinion. You can't just give it lip service. You can't just walk in the door at five minutes before the meeting and sit there for an hour and then get up and go home. You might just as well have stayed home and watched Flip Wilson for all you've done there. You gotta get into it. And you'll hear this said over and over and over in AA. Get into the program. Not on it, get in it. I always like to use that little example of Cochise and the wagon train to, to clear up what I'm trying to say to you right now. Those of you who heard it before will have to sit through it again, but I want some of the new people to hear what we're talking about when we're talking about the difference of being in the program or around the program. Now, most people, as soon as they go to their first AA meeting, are around the program. They're around AA. Then you got to get in it. 
On them wagon trains, if you read them Western stories, when them wagon trains used to come out here in the West in the old days when they were discovering the West, they were all alone, just like you and I are when we're new to AA. They're in a strange country, just like we're in a strange environment when we come into AA. There's a lot of unknown danger that they didn't know about, and you and I don't know about when we come into AA. So what did them wagon trains used to do every night when, when they pulled up to sleep? They didn't scatter out all over the prairies. Hell no. They formed a circle. And all of the smart ones got inside of the circle, got in it. There's always wise asses in everything, not only in AA. There's wise asses in them wagon trains, too. Guys that violate the pr principles of the wagon train, just like there's guys that violate the principles of AA. One of our principles in AA says you don't put personalities before principles. Would you believe I have heard people, and I know you have heard people, say, I'm not going to go to that meeting because so-and-so is there. Or I don't want to go there because so-and-so is the secretary. Or I don't want to go there because I don't like that person or this person. Well, that's a direct example of personalities before principles. You're not coming into AA to like the speakers or be entertained by the speakers or like the cake or the cookies that they put out. You're in there. It's a save-your-ass program. Soya, I call it. Save your own ass. That's why I'm there. I get all the goddamn cookies I want, any place I want if I'm sober, and I can pick out my own friends if I'm sober, so I don't need to come to AA for cookies and friends. But I don't know how to save my own ass as far as booze is concerned, so I have to come to you. So it doesn't bug me who the hell is running the meeting or who's the speaker. What bugs me is if I'm not there. And in them wagon trains, there's guys that don't like the wagon masters. You know, they say, I don't like the wagon master. He's too tough. He's too strict. Or he's got different color hair. So I'm not going to stay in the circle. I'm going to go camp out here by myself. Then there's people in AA that don't want to follow the rules. Oh, I know. It doesn't say rules of AA in here. It calls them 12 suggested steps. Sort of cleans it up a little bit. But it could very easily say, here are the 12 rules. And some people say, I will follow them rules. So they get drunk. They get drunk. And they tell us how they get drunk. If there's half measures available, there's nothing. Says some of us tried to return to our old ways. Couldn't make out. And in them wagon trains, it says no smoking after the sun goes down. That makes a lot of sense. Any of you guys ever been in combat, you know goddamn well why you don't smoke in the dark. You can see a cigarette burning seven miles away. Would you believe that? Seven miles away. That's why you don't smoke. Guys in the Air Force tell me they can spot a cigarette at 20,000 feet. I don't know nothing about it. Yeah. But I believe them. I believe them. So for your own safety, they say, don't smoke. That's what the wagon master says. I don't want any of smoking down here tonight because I think Cochise is up and around here. And he might see some of them cigarettes. 
couple of wise ass say, well, screw him. I like to smoke. If I can't smoke in the wagon train, I'm going to go outside and camp. Well, he ain't got nothing to say about what I do. So outside of the circle, he goes. Lights up all the cigarettes he wants. Maybe a couple other guys want to play house. You know, the lovers in AA. Oh, yeah. Let's not go to the meeting. Let's stay home and screw. You know. <laughs> oh, don't listen to him. Me and you can move in and live together and everything will be fine. We'll work this program together, you know. This is a love affair made in heaven, you know, all that bullshit. The first thing you know, they're both drunk. They're both drunk. So the wagon master says, you can't do that here. So you say, well, screw you, wagon master. We're going to go out here and do it. We're going to go outside the circle, do it our way. So now you got three different groups outside of that wagon train, doing their own thing. One group smoking like hell. Other group over there screwing that man. Other group over there doing whatever the hell they get the hell out of there for. And there's old Cochise up there in the Mesa. I can't talk in Indian talk, you know. But he talks to old running bear, you know, and he's a running bear. Look at them three groups of assholes down there. <laughs> He said, well, you better leave that wagon train alone because that's a tough son of a bitch that's running that. We tried him a few times and got knocked on our ass. But look at them other three assholes. Let's get them. Old Cochise comes down out of the mesa. Who does he get? The bunch out there screwing, the bunch out there smoking, and the other bunch over here fooling around. You know why? Because they're outside of the protection. See, even the guys in the wagon train can't shoot at the Indians. Russell hit somebody that's smoking. So they just got to let him take him. There you go. Now that's sort of an odd way of describing it, but I think it gets my point across, what I'm trying to tell you. If they was inside of it, they'd be protected. If they were following the rules, they'd have a degree of protection. They disregarded personalities. They'd have some protection. Then there's another group of people that don't make this program or return to drinking because they don't concede to their innermost self that they were alcoholic. And in the third chapter of our book, it says the first step towards recovery is the concession. I'm an alcoholic. Now, it's easy for you to say you're an alcoholic in here, isn't it? Because we're all alcoholics. We're not really trying to prove anything in here. Vanity don't mean too much in here. But how about some of you people that get out there? Or some of you guys that work in that firehouse? Well, it'd be tough to go back to that firehouse and Next Monday at 5 o'clock, when they have their little cocktail hour up there around them lockers, somebody says to you, Bill, how come on, you don't want to drink? You think you got to stand up there and give a half-hour speech and say I'm an alcoholic? No, you don't. All you got to say is, I don't want one. I don't want one. See? 
And if anybody's insane enough to persist that you have one, he sure as hell is no friend of yours. No friend of yours. And odd, you've got to learn to smash that myth that salesmen don't have to have alcohol to sell cars, insurance policies, real estate, and big deals. As a matter of fact, if time allowed, I could prove to you that the biggest sales and the biggest deals ever made were made without alcohol. So people don't need alcohol to, to try to impress other people. And is it really so bad being an alcoholic? Let's think what's not happened to some people who've said they were alcoholics. I guess you just heard Senator Hughes on the, tele on the tape here the other day. <coughs> Harold Hughes, he just spoke in San Francisco last Wednesday. Senator, United States Senator from Iowa. Admitted alcoholic. Publicly admitted he was an alcoholic. But he didn't admit it after he became Senator. He didn't admit it after he became governor of Iowa. You know when he admitted being an alcoholic? When he was running for governor of Iowa. A lot of people thought that was the kiss of death on any political chances that he had. When he went right before the people of his state and said, you've got the right to know something before you vote. I am an alcoholic. I'm a person who has lost the ability to control his drinking. But I haven't found it necessary to take a drink now for many years. Smart politicians thought that statement wiped out his political career. And yet at the last election, at the last Democratic convention, his name was bandied around as a possible nomination for vice president of the United States. He won by the biggest margin of victory ever in the state of Iowa. He was the first Democrat elected in the state of Iowa in 36 years. He beat an incumbent governor who had been in there for 16 years after admitting that he was an alcoholic. Things didn't turn out so bad for him because he was an alcoholic. But the cemeteries are full of people who hid their alcoholism. One that comes to my mind very easily is Dr. Jean, who was a guest up here, who headed an alcoholic program within the state of California, but found it necessary to come here to get sober while he was heading that program. And after he left here, he said that it would be impossible for him to openly admit that he was an alcoholic, to attend meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, because a man of his ability, a man in his position, would be looked down upon if he was an alcoholic. So he kept it to himself. He kept it to himself for about a month, and then either he couldn't stand it or something else, 
but he chose to put a gun in his mouth and blow his head off. And he'd done that two days after chairing a meeting right here in this facility, right here in this chair that I'm sitting in about four years ago. You know what was tragic about him not wanting his boss to know that he was an alcoholic? His boss, the superintendent of that hospital, was an active participating member of Alcoholics Anonymous for 23 years. So you see, it's quite possible that he'd be alive and amongst us today if he had conceded not only to his innermost self, to other people, that he was an alcoholic. Ask yourself this. If you're concerned about what people are going to think if you're alcoholic, turn the tables around quick in your mind. How would you feel if one of your friends came up to you and you weren't alcoholic and said, Bob, I want to tell you something. I sure have had a lot of fun drinking with you over the years, but alcoholism began to become a problem in my life, so I'm going to knock it off. I'm not going to drink anymore. I think I'm an alcoholic. Bob, I don't think you'd look down on a guy like that. John, I don't think if your partner in the police department came walking up to you and said that to you, you'd probably take a little death that he did. I don't think there sits a person in this room that would condemn anyone who is trying to do something about a problem as serious as alcoholism. But yet the cemeteries are full of people whose foolish pride and ego prevented them to admitting to a so-called weakness. And rather than expose this weakness, they choose to die. They choose to die. Some of these people that will drink tonight and tomorrow and the next day and who will some wind up in this facility with their life in balance. Some of them are going to take a drink only because of an ego reason. Somebody's going to say, what's the matter, can't you drink? And instead of saying honestly, no, they're going to say, sure I can, give me one. And for the alcoholic, one drink is like putting one drop of gasoline in a 55-gallon drum of water. It spoils the whole drum, the whole drum. Other people fail in this program, have never honestly admitted to themselves why they drink, and then went out and corrected the situation. I don't want to get any big argument or controversy here today, so I'm just going to make a, a firm statement and trust you to believe in what I'm saying. I do not come from that school of thought that allows people to come on with that chicken shit cop out. I don't know why I drink. I come from a school of thought that says we all know why we drink. We don't know why we are alcoholic. 
But each of us knows why we drank the last drink. And that's the only drink we're interested in. We're not interested in why you drank in Norway, or why you drank in high school, or why you drank when you was 21, or why you drank in the war. We only want to know why you drank the last drink. And once we know that, and you know that, we're going to prove to you that you were wrong. And when we can prove to you that you're wrong, then it's your choice. It's your choice to accept our proof or reject it. Your choice, not mine. You decide what you want to do. If you want to be a practicing alcoholic, go ahead. If you don't want to be a practicing alcoholic, come with us. We're not out there with hooks and nets trying to grab you. We're not on a membership campaign. We're not soliciting new members. And you know, really, we don't give much of a shit about you. But I'll tell you why we have to be concerned about you. Because without you, we die. You see, without you, we die. If I can't help you, then I might forget where I come from. And if I forget where I come from, I wind up where you are. And baby, I don't want to be where you are. For those of you who have recently been drinking, I don't want to have to sit through anyone, any 21 more day periods, wondering where I'm going to swallow my tongue. I don't have to sit through any more 16-day periods wondering if I can have a convulsion in that doorway and die. I don't have to do that. But you do because you chose to drink. You chose to reject what I said and what this program says. You know, other people just don't want to quit. I guess that was the hardest thing that I had to learn when I first came into this business. I'll never forget the first guy, and I can't mention his name because he's a very prominent figure. But the first facility I had, this guy was about the fourth guest. And the second night he came in as a basket case, so I couldn't talk to him enough. But the next night, boy, I was going to really sit down and talk with this guy, you know, and tell him everything I knew about alcoholism, tell him everything I knew about AA. He let me talk for about a half an hour. Then all of a sudden he said, Gene, don't waste all of that garbage on me. And I said, why? Not. Is because I don't want to quit drinking. Now that's a hell of a revelation when you see a guy who's publicly made an ass out of himself, one time running out on the baseball field at Candlestick Park, professor of a particular subject at University of California in Berkeley, guy who's been found naked on the street in Berkeley, running away from a hospital, 
guy who's almost burnt down his beautiful home, not wanting to stop drinking. I couldn't understand that, why he wouldn't want to stop. But you see, again, I have to look at this. It's like I said before. You know, we have individual rights, you know. Guy wants to drink, that's his business. Even though he knows all of the hell that's possible, all of the outcomes, all right. So that's why AA put that little condition. That's what it is, a condition. The only requirement, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. So if you don't have the desire, then don't come here. Don't come to us, you know. We don't want to louse up your drinking. And we sure as hell will. Why that happens, I don't know. Maybe that's God working, but a common remark made in AA by people who return to drinking is they always say, AA didn't get me sober, but it sure ruined my drinking. I felt guilty just as soon as I took my first drink. And you know how I compare that with, I say that's, uh, that guilt that you have with taking that first drink is like screwing your sister. The idea is good, but boy, that guilt is a bitch. Now, those are just some of the reasons that I think some of you, possibly me, will go back to drinking. But people who do return to drinking continually deceive themselves. Now, being uneducated, you know I always look up words. And deceive was a word I had to look up. I sort of got an idea. I always say it means fool, fool. But then, you know, I play a little game. My kids have got me on a game where I have to learn a word a day, see, and I've been doing this for a couple of years now. So I have to learn a little bit about that word. Whenever I find a word, I look it up in about six different di dictionaries and stuff like that. And then I have to ask three people what they think that word means. Now here's what deceive means. Deceiving implies deliberate misrepresentation of fact by words or actions. You know the fact. You know the fact. You know you can drink if you're honest. You know that. But you're going to go deceive yourself by misrepresenting. I'm not an I can drink a little beer. See, but you know you can. But your ego is in your way. And you don't want to say, I'm not an alcoholic. What you'd really like to say is, well, look, I know I'm an alcoholic, but this time I'm going to try to control it. I'm not going to let it get that bad. That's what you'd really like to say. But you're not going to blow all of your class in that cocktail lounge and tell them that. No way. I'm not an alcoholic. Give me a double shot. 
even though the facts are there. Even though the facts are there. Now, you don't have to be, if that word bugs you, you don't have to be an alcoholic, member of AA, to quit drinking. <coughs> Just look at the facts. Is alcohol causing your life? At any level, at any degree, to become unmanageable. If you don't know what unmanageable means, that means is alcohol screwing up your life at times? Are there things that you have done when you were drunk that you wish the hell had never happened? Do you carry a burdensome guilt of something that you did while you was under the influence of alcohol? Something you said? Some act or action? Was alcohol the cause of it? Well, if it was, then God damn it, you better do something about it. Because it's not going to go away the next time you drink. It's going to progress. It's going to get worse. Now, how the hell do I know that, a dumbass like me? How do I know that it's going to get worse? What allows me to make such a profound statement that I can tell you that the next time you drink, it's not going to take as much it's not going to take as long, and you're going to be twice as sick. Well, I didn't go to the Harvard School of Medicine to find that out. I didn't go to Stanford or to the Pope to find that out. I've been hanging around with people for 26 years now who went out and proved it for me. They call themselves Alcoholics Anonymous. 750,000 people who guarantee you that that will happen if you try to drink. Now there it is. Those are just some of the reasons that some of you will be back if you don't die. I hope and pray that of course this group here today is only a representative part of a much larger group. That maybe we are the 50% of a larger group. Maybe we are the 20 that represents 50% of the 40 members of AA in Calistoga. And that all of us in this room have had our last drink. And it's them other 20 who are not here today. That'll be divided into a life worse than death. Or have to go out and kick it around a little bit more. <laughs>